Boy, I tell you what, it's great to uh, have these kids. It's great to be blessed uh, with Denise. I, I watch her up front and I go, I wish I could be more like her. I don't know if you know the, the gift that we have in her. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Denise is, Denise is uh, a nationally recognized uh, educational consultant. She's here about 60% of the time because she has a passion to bring the best of education both for children and adults to the ch- local church. And one of our above and beyond goals is actually to uh, be able to eventually hire so that she can uh, spend more time training and developing leaders and teachers and workers so that we can continue to grow the best children's ministry possible in this area and youth ministries and small groups in this area. So uh, if you haven't known that about here, uh, we have a wonderful gift in her and uh, I want to appreciate that before you. Um, I was looking at this wall, praying for these hearts earlier today, and uh, what I didn't realize last Sunday, because I didn't take a close enough look at them after they were put up, uh, there's not 300 hearts there, but there's over 300 names that we're praying for, uh, that God would help us be friends with them in a way that we would not be forceful, not be salesmen, we would be genuine, authentic friends, talking about our faith, and helping invite them to discover Christ on their own. So, Lord, we ask that you'd continue to bless those relationships. Today we're going to finish up the Rescued from Relationships series. And I want to start today by getting some of your gut reactions to just some phrases. You know, you've done that kind of, you know, first reaction stuff before. So just go with me. Uh, Just think of what your first feeling or thought or picture is when I say the following. People who own cats. People who own dogs. People who have tattoos. People who wear high-top black socks with shorts. What about people who are welfare recipients? Or people who are really wealthy? What's your gut reaction? What about really smart Bible theologians? How's your reaction on that one? Or what about people who get really emotional in worship and really expressive? You know, I, I don't know about you, but when I go through that list, I unfortunately have images that come up in my mind that sometimes I wish wouldn't it just show me that I really sometimes can be judgmental. That we go through life judging everything. We make decisions about everything. We categorize and compartmentalize people on a regular basis, you know, and, and, and we do this in our faith as well. You know, we, we do it in, in, in regard to people who we would maybe characterize as crazy charismatics, and we have our idea of those people, and we, we have our idea of the people who we would maybe categorize as big Bible-thumping angry preachers, you know? And the struggle, one of the struggles with faith for us is, is the issue of extremes, which we're going to talk about today that we tend to compartmentalize and categorize and put people in containers and put experiences in containers. and, 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 And even religion in and of itself tends to promote us putting things in containers and, and becoming extreme in some form or fashion. 
You know, some of us have lived in the extremes. Some of us have lived in the extremes of maybe a, what we would, some people would call a crazy charismatic. And, and we've seen that. And some people have lived in the, in the ultra fundamental angry preacher who is constantly asking you to repent of sin. And we've all got our ideas of that. And, and actually some of us even have probably lived in both of those extremes in our lifetime at one point. Today we're going to categorize those, stream, those extremes in, in a couple of ways and going to illustrate them for us. The first way is, is the, the category and the experience of being spiritually, of spiritual experience. You know, it's, it's the kind of the category that we might call the crazy, the crazy charismatics at times or the people who get really emotional and dance. Or It's just a lot about emotion, a lot about relationship, a lot about expressiveness and experiencing the presence of God in, in some ways. In fact, we've been talking a lot about experiencing God and we've been talking about, about a lot about relationship with God. And I suspect for some of you that's a hurrah. And I expect for others of you it's probably a little bit frustrating at times. I remember in uh, college... Uh, uh, there was this this girl that I was friends with and still once in a while follow her on Facebook. She's now a missionary in Afghanistan. But she would talk every day about hearing God's voice and it would just tick me off. Because I was going, what do you mean you heard God this morning at breakfast and then at 10 o'clock and 12 o'clock and 2 o'clock? You heard what? You? I didn't hear like that. And then there's this other extreme, this this practical extreme that we, we might talk about, and it's it's the idea that that uh, in our faith, when it gets this way, it's all about kind of we study the Bible and we're we're all about the practical, we're all about the the principles, and we we principalize life to death in some ways. We we even look at the stories of the Bible, and instead of experiencing the stories, we just try to glean the principles so we can figure out what to live and what to do, and and we this this container. Sometimes both of them spends a ton of time memorizing scripture and just making sure our theology is always right. And, and we've got these extremes of the experiential and the, and the practical and, and we struggle with them. And even Solomon struggled with them in the Old Testament. Uh, Solomon is this interesting guy. He's one of the greatest kings of all history. He had the empire that was the largest of his era. He was a wise, wealthy ruler, so wise that people from all sorts of empires all over the world came to study under him. And, and yet Solomon struggled in his faith very severely. He struggled with the meaninglessness of opulent success. And he, he struggled with the hard questions of reality and sin and evil. And we get to have a picture and a window into his struggle in the book in the Bible called Ecclesiastes. And it's basically Solomon's journal in a sense of his wrestling with these questions. And, and, and within that book we see these brilliantly wise statements. And, and then we see these just desperate struggles of a human heart. And it's not even... The, so, so when we look at the book, it's not even that everything in the book is a prescription that we're supposed to follow because some of it's simply documentary of, of this person struggling with faith. And yet there's some things that he says that are so amazingly inspired with God. And I think the whole thing's inspired from the fact that God wants us to look at that and see that so many of his doubts and his questions are, are really so similar to ours. But, but there's some of the statements that are so prescriptively, things that we're supposed to do and follow that are so brilliant and amazing. In Ecclesiastes 7, he's in the midst of this struggle and, 
And, he, and he's wrestling with these extremes. He's wrestling with this question. How do I, how do I be faithful to a God who, who I've seen show up and know him and, and he wants me to be so religious? And his question is a little bit different than ours today because his practical question is, but how do I, how do I live in the world? And what does that look like? How do I practically live in the world and yet be a faithful follower? And we're going to reframe that same question within the same containers into our uh, how do we live and not be religious so we won't ask the exact same question. But this is what Solomon says about his question in these wrestling with these extremes. He says, In this meaningless life of mine I have seen both of these, a righteous man perishing in his righteousness and a wicked man living long in his wickedness. And then here's Solomon's reaction to that struggle. He says, don't be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? And he's identifying, in a sense there, the deadness of religion when it's outside of real faith, of being too religious, of being self-righteous. And there's a, there's a deadness in that. And we've talked about that in previous weeks. And then he goes on to say, do not be over-wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? So he's saying, don't, 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 don't go to the practical extreme of being so earthy that, that, that you live and fall prey to all these temptations. Then he says this. He says, it's good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. And out of this thinking, especially that last statement, the idea that uh, we avoid all extremes, comes this practical Christian wisdom we hear all the time that's talked about. It's this mantra of balance, that we live life balanced. See, the extremes, and when we, when we translate it into the rescued from religion theme, doesn't deal with the earthiness and all that kind of stuff, but it deals more with how we live our faith. And, and, and when we live our faith in the practical box, it, it, it's very theological and very heady and very academic, and, and, and it's very rational, and, and it's intense Bible study. And when we live it in the experience side, it's all about hearing God and it's all about experiencing God. And, 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 and what that looks like for us a lot of times is these, is kind of these mystical experiences where we get prayed for and we, we sense God's presence. And, and for some of you, maybe you've even lived in places like I have in churches in the past where people would be prayed for and there would be this physical reaction of some sort. Maybe they'd shake, maybe they'd fall down, maybe they'd speak in tongues, maybe they'd do something else that was just, you'd look at it and, 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 any person with a half a brain would look at that stuff and go, it just plain looks weird. And yet, in some of those experiences I've seen, I've talked to people who, who, who were so dramatically healed and so dramatically touched. And, and I've also talked to great theologians who just their thinking has changed their life so much. And, and how do we wrestle with this? How do, we, how do we deal with this? And the problem really starts to happen when, when we start to judge one of these containers. And, and it happens easily because just like we judge personality differences, uh, sometimes because of personality or because of experience, one of us will fit into one of these more naturally than the other. And, and sometimes maybe you as a husband and wife, you have one that fits over here and one that fits there, and it creates maybe even some tension in your relationship. And, and for that matter, even whole church movements are built around these containered extremes. 
We've got the we got the charismatic Pentecostal movement, which sometimes fits here. Now, it's, sometimes it, it fits more balanced, but but sometimes it fits here. And quite frankly, it's the fastest growing, uh, next to the Catholic Church, largest Christian influence in the world today. And it's very experience oriented. And then we've got other movements over here that are that are not for that, that that are suspicious of that, and they start judging that, and they and they say, well, those experiences, how do you know they are? Because the reality is that sometimes when you're in the experience, you you experience God, and you say, I'm healed, and then it proves out that you're not, and so we're, they're prone. The experienced people are sometimes prone to claiming a miracle when it's not there, and and. And then sometimes the, the experienced people look over here and they go, yeah, but, but this is like the godliness without any power attached to it. It's, 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 it's dead. And, and why would we want to do that? And, and sometimes the, the experienced people look over here and they look at the practical box and they say, well, you're just doing your faith. You're just leading church and you're doing church by man's wisdom. That's, that's the favorite phrase of experiential people when they critique this. And, and truth be told, if you, if you got online and looked up some of the most famous Christian blogs in the U.S. And, and if you looked at some of the most famous Christian radio stations, the reality is that some of those are famous because they're somebody in this box critiquing that one or somebody in that box critiquing that one. And it's just like, it's just like the news media. You, you get viewership by how harsh you critique something. You know, sometimes it's not even that we're fully critiquing and angry or, or frustrated or rejecting somebody. Sometimes it's just preferences. We have a, Wendy and I used to go to this church that uh, was, was pastored by a guy who is a nationally known author and speaker and just an amazing, amazing storyteller. And one of our closest friends, still one of our closest friends to this day, just a wonderful person who just follows Christ so wonderfully, She'd come to that church and, and we were loving it and she'd look at the preacher and she'd go, oh, all he does is tell stories. It's just fluff. It's just experience. I want, I want the meat. I want, I want a, I want a verse by verse exposition of the Bible. I want to know what the Greek and Hebrew say and I want to know all the meanings that go on. And, and, and so she would reject this wonderful preacher and, and then on the other hand though, there's, there's people on this side who look at that side and go, that's so boring. Can't you give me some stories? Can't you give me some ideas of how to apply it to life? And, and it's actually funny to me because, I don't know if I should say this up here, but I'm good anyway. I'll, I'll flip-flop. I'm usually not the best story, to, but I'll flip-flop between these extremes in my speaking. And it's funny because I can tell when I, I, I preach more that way that I'm going to get compliments from this group and when I preach more this way that I'm going to get compliments from that group. I mean, it's just the reality, and sometimes it's just the difference between us. But a lot of times, our solution to these extremes is this moderation, this balance, this, what we call it, that, that avoids these extremes. And, and we can even get that idea from other biblical texts. For instance, uh, Jesus confronts the extremes. He confronts both of these extremes. He confronts the extreme of the practical in John 5. He says, where you, you diligently study the Scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. Yet these are the Scriptures that testify about me, he says, but you refuse to come to me to have life, to have a real experience with me. So it's completely possible to be over here and be a, a great theologian, be, 
be so biblically sound, be, be an orator of the, of the text. And that's actually who Jesus is speaking to. He's speaking to the Pharisees who were, who were great at dissecting the, the meanings and, and could memorize everything and knew everything verse by verse and could quote things. And he's saying, you can do that all you want and yet you can be dead, is what he's saying. And then he talks to the, the spiritual experience people over here. And in Matthew 7, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And he goes on to say, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons, perform many miracles? Did we not have these amazing spiritual experiences with you and even lead people in those amazing spiritual experiences? Did we not do that? And Jesus says, then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And so it's clear that, that Jesus, in one sense, even confronts these extremes. Because spiritual experiences or, or theological knowledge don't prove faith. And they don't prove maturity. It doesn't matter how many experiences you've had with God. It doesn't mean you're mature. It doesn't mean how, how many gifts you have, how many healings you, that God performs through you doesn't necessarily mean you're here. You're, you're mature. Nor does, nor does the fact that you can quote systematic theology and memorize all sorts of verses and dissect the principles and live a good, clean, pure, moral life doesn't even make sure that you're mature either. And so instead... Of those, our solution a lot of times is to, to live this centrist position, which there really probably should be a container here as well. And, and, and what that looks like for most of us when we decide to live balanced, to avoid the extremes, to avoid the things Jesus confronts, to, to not go over the edge like we've seen in some avenues of our life, we tend to live balanced like this, wanting to hold off the extremes, wanting to keep them away, wanting to, wanting to push them away, wanting to be controlled so we don't fall off the deep end. Wanting, and, and we tend to live life a little bit suspicious, a little bit critical maybe, even, maybe even a little bit wary of these things, so strongly questioning them. And, and, and it ends up that we live this, this tame, even disgusting life. Like the book of Revelation 3 says, so because you are lukewarm neither hot nor cold. You're not extreme. You're safe. You're middle of the road. You're cautious. You're not too dogmatic and you're not too wild. And Jesus says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And we find ourselves in this third container being just as religious, just as dead as the other extremes. In fact, in Ecclesiastes 7, it says this, we read this before. It says, it's good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. But even in the NIV footnote, which is what this, this the translation is from, it, it reinforces the first half of verse 18. And it says that the word extremes actually means that, that we will follow both of them. In fact, almost all of the other translations translate this verse that we will, we will follow both, we will grasp both. Why let go of one? Why not grab both? And this is what Jesus invites us to. He invites us not to live in an either-or of an extreme or this passive middle where we just are fearful of going over the edge. 
He invites us to live in the and instead. And this is actually one of the values that we phrase even at Quest. We phrase it this way. We say, we want to be deeply spiritual and we want to be deeply practical at the same time. We want everything God wants. We don't want to live in this lukewarm thing of pushing things out and being afraid, nor do we want to live in the -the over-the-edge extreme of either one. In fact, Jesus reinforces this even in confront, as in the same passage he confronts the practical extreme people. He reinforces this grabbing of both idea in, in the verses right before it. He says, I have a testimony. Jesus is talking to these same people, the Pharisees again. He says, I have a testimony, a life experience that is weightier than that of John for the very work the Father has given me to finish in which I am doing testifies that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You, and then he says to this practical container as he's confronting him, talking about trying to grab both, he says, you have, you have never heard his voice, the experience. And you have never seen his form, the experience, the real tangible experience of God. Nor does his word dwell in you which is see the big lie of this. We can live over here and we can be religious, but, but the Word is not just the words on paper. The Word is Jesus, the experience of Him, the truth of life, not principles alone. And then he goes on to, to say again, you diligently study the Scriptures and you think that by them you possess eternal life, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And, and he's saying you refuse to believe the miracles, you refuse to believe the experience, you, the freeing message, the grace and forgiveness, and instead you stay in your principles so much that when life itself hits you in the face, you can't even see it. You see, Jesus lived in the practical. He lived over here. At age 12, we see him debating with the scribes and the Pharisees, the best of the best practical container people in Israel. In order to do that, he had had to have spent most of his life spending a lot of time memorizing Scripture, learning the principles, studying the Scripture, understanding the rules, understanding the law. He had to know all that stuff. And Jesus also lived here in the extreme of amazing experiences with God, experiences that, experiences that when we look at them, unless we view them from a sanitized center's position or a sanitized position of the far extreme, we have to acknowledge the fact that God's power and presence shows up in ways that are uncomfortable, in ways that don't make sense. We see Him praying for healings and miracles and we see Him casting out demons and we see some of the people responding when He prays for them by actually falling on the ground. And in one place it says they fell on the ground after He prayed for them and they looked dead. We see, we see Him in the Garden of Gethsemane and the soldiers come to Him and, and the power of God comes when He says, I am He and the soldiers fall down to the ground. There's a, there was a physical reaction recorded in the Bible to the power and the presence of God, something that created something in us. We see it all throughout the Bible even in the Old Testament in that same way, but we also see things that make us uncomfortable in, in, this, in this box in Acts. Peter, Peter describes himself as, as being on top of the house, being in a trance, and that's uncomfortable sometimes for us to think about the fact that this is... A, and we see all throughout the Bible in the New and the Old Testament, we see people having dreams and, 
and visions, even, even visions with their eyes open where God speaks to them that are not psychotic events. They are, di- they are divinely inspired things. But some of that stuff, because of our experience either way, scares us. Because we have seen things that were not of God in this container. And we've seen things that were not of God where we've had angry preachers over here preaching sin at us and preaching so strongly at us that it gave us this idea that God was angry and we were guilty. Or, or maybe we went to somebody over here for counseling one time and, and, and basically they listened to us for 10 or 15 minutes when we, when we were struggling with this problem and they gave us five scriptures and sent us home with the magic bowl of the scriptures in our pocket and it, and it didn't work and... And we just left feeling guilty and, and we felt like, how can I rationalize myself? How can I, how can I principalize myself out of this situation I'm in? I've come to the conclusion in my own life, I, I can't memorize enough. I can't be good enough to heal myself. I can't do this well enough to experience healing at the level that I want to hear it. I have it. But on the other hand, We've also got the experiences over here where people just pray for you and tell you the problem's going away and you're good. But you go home and you're still wrestling with the problem. And we can't experience ourselves to healing either. It's got to be both. But the tension of living in the boat, in, 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 in the and is that it leaves us feeling uncomfortable. It leaves us feeling vulnerable to possibly becoming like one of those crazy people who went over the edge that we had a bad experience with. You know, the reality for me is is I've lived in each one of these religious containers at different points in my life. I've lived in this container and I've taught the religiousness of this container, both biblical things that are really true and I've experienced I've experienced amazing things in my own life and in in other people's lives through this container, but I've also caught myself being in the religious box of this and teaching the unbiblical portions of it. And then I swung all the way over here and and I taught this stuff and I taught people how to counsel and I taught people how to do stuff and how to live life and how to transform their life by working really hard. And you know what? That didn't work either. And I taught the biblical things of this, which are which I've seen amazing, powerful things, because one of the things this box as well says is that is that all truth is God's truth. And so. And so even if there's these leadership studies or studies in counseling that are consistent with the Bible, that we should be able to learn from that and use it. And I've seen God powerfully move through both of these. But I find it inadequate to be in just one of them. I find it to lead me to a place, and I find it especially inadequate to live the balance like this in the middle. Because all the balance in the middle does is lead me and lead us to hopelessness, to apathy, to fear, because we're so afraid of going off the end. You know, for some, you've maybe even experienced primarily this. And there's one avenue that you may have experienced it through, and maybe that was maybe that I know a number of you have come from high church traditions, and 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 now I'm going to reference some denominations or some uh, some backgrounds just to try to connect with maybe you, but but please understand when I say that 
I'm not saying that the entire movement is here. I'm not saying that they are bad because, quite frankly, I have wonderful Christian friends in every one of the movements I'm going to talk about. In fact, one of them I'll say, maybe maybe you were Presbyterian as has a high church. And quite frankly, we have an awesome new Presbyterian church in New Albany that today is actually breaking ground on its first building ever. It was a church plant about six years ago. And we should be rejoicing with them and praying for them. Wonderful pastor. But, but some of you were raised in, in those high church traditions. Maybe it was Catholic. Maybe it was Episcopal. Maybe it was a, high, a very high church Methodist tradition. And by that, the high church, if you're not familiar with that, what that means, it means you basically come and, and you sit and you stand and you read prayers and you sing songs and you do things that is very well directed and very well controlled by the people up front and, and, and you rarely pray on your own a lot of times if you're in a, a containered environment, especially that's very religious and not living in the and. You don't pray on your own. You have your relationship through those practices. And so what happens for you sometimes, like, like may have happened for some of you, uh, or may happen in the future is every now and then we're, you know, like at the recent transformation service back in, I think it was um, March, we, we did some liturgical stuff where it was more written prayers and written responses. And, and your response to that because of your experience here is that that's dead. Because your experience was in a container that was dead. And for some of you in the high church tradition, your experience was dead, not even necessarily because of the container, because one of the, one of the default things that accidentally communicates in any high church tradition is that you come and you don't have to be responsible for your own growth. It's the priest, it's the pastor who leads you in everything and you just pray the prayers and you just do the things they say and you're okay. And the reality is very different. If we're going to live in the and, we have to take responsibility. If we're not going to live in religion, but we live in, in relationship and faith, we have to take responsibility for our own personal relationship. So whether you've experienced the stream, extreme over here and it's put you in the middle, like I did one time, I was in a place where tons of people were, were being healed and amazing experiences, but because I didn't act the same way, because I didn't have the same look as they had, even though I was a pastor, a lot of times if people would pray for me, they'd decide that I needed to have demons cast out of me because I didn't look like them. It's those kinds of negative experiences that drive us to the other extreme or drive us to the middle. And if you've had those experiences, maybe, maybe it was one of the negative experiences over here. If you've had those experiences, I want to invite you, <clears throat> pardon me, invite you today to separate the practice or the experience that you had. And don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Because Jesus lived in the end. He lived in both of these extremes. And that's where the power of his life came from. Wendy's actually reading a book right now that we're uh, considering. She's trying to either encourage me to do a series on or it might become a class about the styles of which people connect to God. You know? And, and some of you are more experiential. Some of you are more practical and more word-driven and more structured in your approach, and we're going to try to teach different habits along this entire continuum, not only to, to cater to maybe who you are and how God wants to speak to you, which may not be like the person over there, but, but we're also going to encourage you, if you're that person, we want you to practice some of these habits. 
because it expands your experience of God. It helps you understand more fully who God is. If we only stay in one of these poles, one of these extremes, or only in the middle, we miss so much of who God is to us. So how do we live in the middle? Or how do we, how do we live in the and without falling off the deep end? First, I would describe it as a settling the control and trust issue. And we've talked about this some, but, but, but living in one of these containers, whether it's the centrist position or one of those, it's, it's really about being in control. It's really about not trusting that this is real or not trusting that that's real and being afraid of them. And in 2 Corinthians 1.22, it, it tells us that the Holy Spirit is given to us as a seal. Now remember, a seal is like an official document. It's the stamp that this is an official contract. And then it goes on to say it's given to us not only as a seal, but as a deposit. And we've talked about the last few weeks how it's really about relationship. And the Spirit is given to us in the center here. And, and, and the Bible says that we need to continually be being filled of more of Him that changes our shame messages, that frees us from religion. And, and that deposit that He's talking about is intended to grow in us. But it's not the full thing. It's a guarantee, it says. And the guarantee is that we're going to be completely one day redeemed. We're going to be completely healed one day by Him. And the question is, do we trust that guarantee? Do we trust that seal? Do we trust that deposit? Do we trust Jesus when He says that the Holy Spirit, He Himself, in person, will lead us into all truth? Do we trust the Spirit of God as He tells us to, or do we trust our theology and our theologians more? Not that they're unimportant, but where is our trust ultimately at? Because when we try to control, we stick our theology in these boxes and define the rules. Second, Jesus in Matthew 7 says this in the verses before the one we uh, read earlier about him confronting the experience extreme. He just says, watch out for false prophets. And then he skipped down a little bit and he says, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. And then it ends by saying, thus by their fruit, you will recognize them. And we talk about this a lot in church, and we, we talk about it in terms of the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, that if God's really in it, we'll see those things happen. But then we tend to back away from that and actually start to interpret that in another religious, peacekeeping way. Because the reality is, if this experience is uncomfortable to you or me or somebody else, and somebody next to us experiences this, that our, our discomfort often makes us angry, makes us frustrated, and we start to be suspicious. And, and good people start getting angry when these extremes start to happen. And, and they really are good people. Even if we're caught in the religious extreme, religious is all about making us good. We're all just trying to be good people. But because people get mad because we experience this or because we experience that or we don't experience that and we experience this, 
We often say something is not good fruit because of the reaction of the crowd. But if we have to say that, then we'd have to say that most of Jesus' ministry wasn't good fruit either because the reaction of the crowd wasn't always good. Saying that that's the measure of fruit is like saying we've got a cornfield over here and we've got an eggplant field over here and the cornfield goes and looks at the eggplant field and says, "Uh, you're no good because you should be corn. Now, actually, I don't like eggplant, but, you know, I mean, it's still good. It's just different. You see, the measure of fruit is always found by us learning to suspend judgment and see what God does in the life of the person who received that experience or that truth. That's the only way we can judge fruit is by looking at people who received it. And the problem is because I've been hurt there and I've been hurt there or you've been hurt here and hurt there, sometimes we can't even trust our own... Our own, our own um, somebody help me find the word... Our instincts, thank you. I had an I word, but it wasn't the right I word in my mind. We can't even trust our own instincts because we've been hurt by that, which again leads us to saying, will we suspend judgment? Because maturity is not found in any one of these poles. It's not found in an experience. It's not found in theological correctness. Maturity is found in the quality of our relationship with God and our ability to give that same grace and love we have with God to other people. Maturity is the evidence of our lives reproducing faith in other people, whether it's coming to faith initially or whether it's the faith to have a strong marriage through difficult times or, or whether it's the faith to connect with the purpose God has called us to and we reproduce that, we, we reproduce that in other people's lives. Living in the and is really uncomfortable. And when we approach it with the idea of the center's position of holding things out, it's like our first image of a tightrope walker. You know, Jesus says our our journey is a narrow path, which I think could be easily compared to a tightrope. How many tightrope walkers are going from uh, across the Niagara Falls with all the wind and everything do you see carrying a pole like this? And yet when we talk about balance so many times in church, it's really this thing that we're talking about And it's not healthy. It's not what God wants. Instead, living in the end, I don't think this would work. In fact, I had this pointed the wrong way in my car this morning. I ended up having to pick it out of the ditch on Dublin Granville because the wind caught it. And it should be about 20 feet longer, but you get the point. God wants us to live in the end. He wants us to trust Him that He will save us, protect us from going off the deep end, either direction. But why would I want to hold my arms up to this? Because I've seen deep end stuff when I've also seen healing. And why would I want to hold my arms up to this and say that's just man's way when I've seen the power of God work through Biblical wisdom that has been studied or proven or extended upon by people studying leadership and counseling in ways that bring transformation to people's lives. Why would I not want to live in the end? Deeply spiritual and deeply practical. Here's the reflection point for today that I want you to take just a moment on. If you can put that slide up. 
To which of these containers are you most naturally drawn? And, or, and have you had a bad experience with one of the extremes, including this centrist extreme, that has resulted in you withdrawing from that kind of faith expression? I want you to just take a couple minutes and write your thoughts in response to those questions, either on the back of your program while a little bit of music plays, or if you are next to somebody who is a friend who you're comfortable doing this with, turn to them and just give a 20-second, this is where I'm at, and this is where I need God to bring freedom to my life. Would you do that? <laughs> 